0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Raising Golfers podcast. I am your host, Travis Hauser, PGA professional, living here in Carlsbad, California. Today we have a special guest, Lisa Cornwell, who is a former Golf Channel reporter. Lisa has a wonderful history in the game of golf. She grew up at a young age playing golf at an elite level and really had that really burning desire and love for the game. Lisa is also a former All-American and a Hall of Famer at the University of Arkansas And she is very, very well connected, not only just in the golf world, but with many inspirational people and has such an inspiring story growing up in the game of golf that you will truly enjoy listening to and learning from. All right, so Lisa, uh, I'm so excited to have you join us here on the Raising Golfers podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time out and joining us today.
1: Yeah, it's great. I'm really happy to be with you. I can't wait to dive in and, and learn more about what you're doing and the focus, but the fact that it does focus on junior golf is is really special. It means a lot to me.
0: Yeah, and uh, and that's you know the primary reason I have you on here because I I want to learn more about your journey and I think you know sharing your journey with the listeners is going to be really important. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to do is I'm going to jump ahead and then we're going to kind of rewind a little bit. All right. So, I looked at your experience growing up as a junior golfer, and you played golf at a very high level from a young age and even through college and I would even guess you probably still play golf at a very high level. but at what point did you realize that playing professional golf was not for you
1: um How long do you have <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's great because I think every everybody in in golf has their own journey right, right. um and mine was definitely all my own and it's sort of a hard story to tell i think in a short amount of time but um i would say it's it's weird i mean i it, it's kind of like i compare it to couples who they're happy one day and then the next minute they're getting a divorce mm-hmm. that was kind of that was kind of me it really happened i think over the span of um my senior year in high school um you know we'll get into it but I, I just for some reason i lost and i was always addicted to golf i mean i was addicted to all sports and still am but golf was just different and i I also played basketball but you know to make a long story short i really got into this whole fitness thing and that became more of a focus for me than golf and i have no idea because i mean I, i loved it i was at the I was at the peak of, uh, I think of, you know, I say career as a junior golfer, you know, it's funny now cause I cover professional golfers and they actually do have careers. So when people like <laughs> me say career, I kind of laugh about it, but, but in this essence, in this sense, that's what right. we're talking about. Um, and you know, I went from being 16 years old and second in the country to hating the game the next year. And, you know, I, a lot of people who know my story and I think that it's unfortunate because I took lessons from David Ledbetter, um, starting when I was 15. Oh, is that right? And yeah. And a lot of people who hear my story and you know, everybody likes to put blame on David Ledbetter, whether it's Lydia Co. or Michelle, Wee or whatever. And they're like, Oh yeah, you were victim to lead poisoning too. I'm like, that's so ridiculous. I mean, mm. I know 70% about, golf and the golf swing because of David Lepiter. And it had nothing to do with with me taking lessons from him. It just was where I was. I think some of it was just emotionally, um, some anxiety stuff that that golf can do to people. And some people can overcome it. And some people like me can't. And I mean, I walked away from the game and really had sort of a love-hate relationship with it for 10 years or so. But that's in a, in a nutshell, that's that's what happened.
0: Yeah. And I think that's normal. And, you know, the reason I'm asking this question right away at the gate is because I, I think it, it, we all get kind of caught up in this mindset, whether we're players or whether we're adults around the players that would be parents and coaches, thinking that the only path at the end here is that you play professional golf. However, there's so many things that you can take away from the game of golf, and there's so many other options that you can go through in life, and there's so many things that you can just. Like so many good benefits that come out of the game, that I don't know if necessarily that should be the end result for everybody in their mind. And I mean, look at your career and like what you've done, and and, and I think it's just amazing. And that's why I wanted to bring that up first because you know it, it's a true story, it's a real story, and everybody has different stories why they may not choose that path. But I think listeners need to understand that it doesn't have to be the only path for your junior golfers or for yourself if you are a junior golfer listening to think that professional golf is the only way at the end. Right. And, um, and like I said, I think you're, you're, you're a very good example of that and how successful you've been. So I want to backtrack a little bit now though. And (laughs) I, I think what would be interesting to hear would be how your golf journey began. So like, how old were you when you started playing golf and who introduced you to the game?
1: So I remember as a, you know, People say, what are your earliest memories? Honestly, I think my earliest memory in life is being in our backyard. I grew up in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and being in our backyard with those little plastic golf clubs. I think they still make them today. Like The heads <laughs> are huge, and you can hit it both ways, whatever. That's cool. It's interesting because I'm left-handed, and I'm right-footed. And my parents—I mean, my dad played a little bit of golf. My mom didn't play golf at all, and they didn't care. You know, they just let me go out there and swing as hard as I could and see what happened. But I always swung it right-handed.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: And so I remember that. And then I remember as a as a kid. I mean, I was fortunate that my parents were members at a a local club there in Fayetteville, in my hometown. Small club, but had a really good junior golf program, which is how you and I connected through Dave Malone, who was the head PGA professional then. And Dave really just instilled this great um, junior golf, not just, not just the program, but he cared about it. And it was kind of, he took us in, he was a father figure. And I think that he saw early on that I was, that I was, you know, kind of had a knack for it. And I just fell in love with it. I, I mean, it's like so many of us do. We, we just sort of get addicted, to the game, and my parents had, and I still have, have them here. These little clubs made for me. I have a persimmon headed, it's probably like a nine wood, and an old <laughs> Gary Player Black Knight putter that's like this long. That's cool. And I remember going. My sister also played junior golf. She's four years older than me, but she was actually in the program, like playing competitively. I would just go out there and bug them all at the age of five. <laughs> and I convinced my dad to let me tag along with her at a golf tournament that she was playing about an hour away. And he dropped her off cause he was going to do some work. And, um, the lady who was running the tournament said, I'll watch her. She's okay. You know, she can ride around with me. Well, long story short, I convinced that woman somehow to let me play. I mean, I don't remember it, <laughs> but my dad came back to pick my sister up and the, the tournament director said, Mr. Cornwell, we have a problem. And he thought, cause I mean, I was kind of rambunctious, he thought, what has happened? What has she done? And she said, well, Lisa convinced us to let her play in the four hole division and she won. It was, it was pretty funny. Um, and I think I was, I was five or six and I think that the youngest girl in that division was eight. And so she just couldn't believe it. And from that point on, my dad was like, okay, well maybe this is serious. If she really likes it, we'll invest some time and money. And, I was fortunate just that everything worked out, not just from my parents' support, but where I grew up playing and really sort of learning the game at a very young age.
0: That's cool. What, what would you say, like how important was the role of your parents to get you to where you got to your level at in high school and then obviously getting into college golf as well?
1: I mean, everything. I, golf, as we all know, unfortunately is extremely expensive. I mean, that's one of the things that hopefully, we can continue to address as adults and and make the game less expensive and more open to people of all income levels, minorities. Uh, That's what this game desperately needs. But I was fortunate to have their financial support. And you think about, I mean, as a teenager traveling, I played primarily on the AJGA Tour, the American Junior Golf Association. And a lot of the people I played with their parents had a lot of money. I mean, mine weren't struggling, but they were very much middle class. And, you know, it's not cheap. And I think the AJGA has done a really good job. I'm I'm still close with Stephen Hamblin and all those folks there. They're awesome. But they offer scholarship programs now to help out some, you know, some juniors like me who their parents just, just can't financially afford to do it all. My parents figured out a way to do it. But they paid for everything and they stayed out of the way. Uh, you know, you see it so often. And my dad was smart enough. He didn't know anything about golf. There was no way he was going to, to give me any kind of lesson. They would just, they would watch me more mentally. And when I would get frustrated and hard on myself, that was sort of their role. But um, anybody who grows up playing this game knows that we can't do it without mom and dad.
0: Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. And I think the positive support from their side is, 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 is crucial, isn't it? And, even sometimes, and you know, and I've heard stories on multiple sides where mom or dad are really into golf, or mom and dad don't know anything about golf. But sometimes, you know, and I even look at my situation. My mom didn't know anything about golf, and she had me come, she had me play golf, and she still doesn't really know fully everything about golf. But sometimes that can be to a benefit as well because then, you know, it's they take a step back and they're there more for the emotional support. They're there more for just the encouragement. They're your cheerleaders, right? And right. Um, I think that can go a long ways if you know the junior golfer wants to progress if that's what their their goal is and, and to improve. And I say that a lot now because I don't think everybody necessarily has to improve if that's not what they want to do. If they just want to go out and have some fun and enjoy the game as it is, and I think that's totally fine too.
1: Could not agree more. And look, I, I can't tell you how many pro-ams and, and just charity benefits that I play in. And when you talk to people, especially women, women who learn the game early have so much more confidence out there golf's an intimidating game and the earlier you can start playing it the better I mean you're just you're going to be more confident playing and even a scramble it certainly does make a difference and we can't say it enough I mean we play the game our entire lives it's it's awesome it's the best game that's out there in my opinion not because we're looking at it being better than basketball or football in a competitive sense but just the longevity and the friendships that you make and you know, for so long I would go out there and play and I would still keep score and I'd get frustrated. I'm like, what am I doing? I don't even have a handicap, you know. So one of my friends said the best thing to do just get a scorecard, right? Either a smiley face or a frown face.
0: <laughs> that's a good how you like <laughs> then that. Then you don't
1: have to look at a number. So I started that for a little bit and then I just got rid of all the scorecards. I just go out there and have fun.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. You know, what what I preach now, and it's not necessarily what I preached when I first started coaching golf, but I preach now that the experience has to be first. I mean, it has to be a positive experience and and the game needs to be provided for, I would say for junior golfers and adults in a positive learning environment where everything feels safe. And right. I think that really encourages people, you know, whether first to like the game, second to build confidence. And I, I think it's just the right way about going about it. Because like you said, golf is such a complex game. It's not easy, like at all. And it's one of those <laughs> things that we're chasing you know, to not even, I can't say perfect, but to improve throughout our entire lives. And
1: we're all perfectionists. I mean, anybody who's played (laughs) this game long enough, you know, we are (laughs)
0: 100 percent, right? (laughs) One hundred percent
1: agonizing.
0: But, you know, I think if if it let's just say you're a parent of a child who is playing golf or growing up in golf, you know, the goal I would personally say for at least me and my children is, is that I can play golf with them for the rest of my life. And so we want to make sure that the experience is positive and stays positive throughout the entire journey. Right. And yeah. I think that's, it's a very delicate thing, especially as we start playing into tournaments and things like that. But I think there is a way. And if we have that kind of at the forefront, I think that's a really important thing to keep at the back yeah. of our minds for sure. 100%. So what I would like to know from you, if, if you can kind of share with listeners now, maybe a piece of advice, because Dave Malone, we did an episode recently where we talked about mild desire versus burning desire. And what he told me, based on what he remembers you as a junior golfer, is he said you had the burning desire to love the game, play the game, and you couldn't get enough of it. Right. Can you think of anything that you would share for a junior golfer growing up in the game that might be a good piece of advice that might help them lean more towards that burning desire to love the game?
1: That's a great question. Um, I don't think that you can manipulate passion in anything. And I think in order to be great, you have to be passionate about it, right? Anything. It doesn't matter if you want to be a great reader, you're going to have to be passionate about it and read all the time. And I just had it in me. It was just that competitive drive. And look, I mean, not only did I have Dave in and in a great foundation, but I grew up with a lot of. Honestly, I I only played golf with guys. It wasn't because I was against playing golf with women, but not as many women played and I was a young kid and the women weren't really into playing golf with me. But these guys, these younger guys who were really competitive um, sort of instilled that uh, in me, that competitive that I already had, but it just helped it blossom. So I guess my only advice is just be true to yourself. If you love it, do it. If you don't, do something else or just do it casually. You just have to, you can't force it. And my nephew is a really good example. My nephew is a good overall athlete, but I mean, I hope he doesn't hear this. And I don't mean this in a bad way. He never really excelled at anything. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's a heck of a lot smarter than me. I mean, his grades, he'll probably go on and make a lot more money and be more successful than me. And that's, that's wonderful. But he wanted, he had a friend who was really good in high school, a really good golfer and practiced all the time. And I told him, and he would get frustrated. I'm like, Bo, you're not going to be as good as your friend because you don't practice as much. And he said, oh, I did last week. And I'm like, that's not what it is. I mean, this kid's (laughs) out here 10 months out of the year grinding. And it's okay that you're not doing it. It's just because you don't want to, you don't have that desire. There's nothing wrong with that. There are other things that interest you, schoolwork, reading, um, your friends. So I don't know. I've always said that you just, you can't manipulate it and you just I think that that's the biggest responsibility for parents is to recognize that. And if your kid has it, great. If he or she doesn't have it in golf, they'll have it in something else. So, but yes, Dave's right. I did, I I had the burning desire and I had all the elements just put in place, not just because of that competitive drive within me, but the people who I was around. And that sort of, I think, helped foster it and build it. And that's why I was successful because I just had this, passion and this drive to be good. And look, it's hard work, right? So you work hard at something, you're going to be good at it. You may not be the best, but hard work always, always pays off in some way.
0: Totally agree. Everything you said, totally agree. And what I like about what Dave kind of coined there between, because A lot of times as a coach, I'll hear from parents and they'll say, well, you know, he or she likes golf, right? Or he or she Mm -hmm. enjoys golf. But I think there's a big difference between that and desire because, you know, you can see a child get upset maybe if they lose a game or fall short in, let's just say, like a small local tournament or whatever. But there's a lot of children, similar to like your nephew, where maybe they, of course, they want to win. They don't want to lose, but their desire is not strong enough to go out and actually practice. So there's kind of Mm -hmm. like this, there's, it's an interesting balance between like, like and desire. And I think there's actually a big difference. And the desire side, if you're really burning, it's like you said, you're putting in the hard work, at least you're going out to practice, you're playing, like you're immersed into the sport even more deeply than, you know, the others that just say they like it. And so I, I think the, what you summed up there is, is really, really good for listeners to hear. And I would recommend anybody going back and listen to that again.
1: Look, I told my nephew and I tried to make the example. I said, there's a big difference. I mean, obviously, you know, he would always say, Lisa, you, you were great when you were my age. And I said, yeah, Bo, but you're on Saturday night. There's nothing wrong with this. Or Saturday afternoon, you're going to the mall with your friends or watching a movie. I said, do you know what I was doing even after I got up early and played golf and practiced all day? I would go home literally and watch Bobby Jones VHS tapes. kind of aging myself, but that was all that I did. I mean, I read right. the Ben Hogan book when I was 12 right. and I bet I've read it 30 times. I mean, it was just, nobody had to tell me to do it. Nobody had to say, Hey Lisa, go take a lesson from Dave or Lisa go watch the Bobby Jones videotape or Lisa. No, I was saying I, I was saying no to my friends. I, I hate to say it, but I barely had friends outside of sports. I just wasn't interested in it. They weren't going to help me get better. So it was, yeah, it's just a difference and you're exactly right. You, you cannot create it. It just has to be there. It's nothing will ever, uh, people say all the time, Oh, you had this God given talent. No, I, I don't think God just passes out golf talent to you and basketball. No, no I especially had, we wanted
0: him to. No,
1: I had. <laughs> maybe he gave me the desire, but it's the work that gets you there, right? right. It's it's the work that gets you anywhere you want to go. Hard work always beats out raw talent every single day. You think Tiger Woods would have been Tiger Woods without working hard? Tiger Woods isn't the best golfer of all time. Arguably, he is, in my opinion, because he was just possessed with this natural ability. I mean, I grew up playing golf with Tiger. He worked harder than anybody. I learned how to practice from Tiger and from his dad. And let me tell you, as, as great as I thought that I was in terms of practicing, I, it wasn't even close. That's crazy. That's, that's why he's the greatest ever because he prepared better than anybody.
0: That's crazy. You know, that actually brings me to my next question. You worked at the golf channel for a while. And I I would like you to actually just kind of maybe share who was your favorite person to meet or interview while you were working at the golf channel and maybe share some kind of story because you got to meet, you know, the greatest of the game and, you know, for listeners to hear directly from you, maybe somebody who you really enjoyed seeing, maybe it was time and time again or any short story. I think we would appreciate hearing that. I think it'd be great.
1: Wow. That's a tough one. And I get asked that a lot. Um, I I think my, my favorite, Response or what I'm proud to say when I get asked that is that I never had a bad experience. There were so many players who thoroughly impressed me, men and women. And I think that the longer in any sport, anything that you do, right, you have to build this respect with people. And especially in that kind of environment when sometimes you're asking hard questions or you're asking questions maybe that they don't want to answer the more that they get to know you, the more that they respect you, the more that they will open up to you. And I think that the longer, once I was at golf channel and sort of established myself, not as this great TV personality, because you know, there are a lot of people I think who are gifted at TV. That wasn't my gift. My gift, especially once I got to golf channel was just that I know the game so well. Hmm. And I think that once they realize that I'm a golfer, that, that I get it. Um, that I'm there to do a job, but but really want to ask it in, in a way that makes makes them want to talk about it, talk about the game, and not just ask them a question, hey, how, how'd you play today? I mean, that's just the biggest softball question in the world. But if I actually go out there and watch Jordan Spieth, and I know at Torrey Pines that he yanked one left at six, hit a great trouble shot out, and made an incredible par-saving putt, and I actually ask him about that, players really respond and respect you for it. Mm. And so I, you know, I say that story like a Jordan Spieth, absolutely phenomenal. I, I adore that guy, Rory McIlroy, adore him. Of course, Tiger and I've had a long time friendship, so we would joke off camera and, um, <laughs> but Tiger's great. And then on, you know, on the, on the women's side, I mean, I could talk all day. They're all phenomenal. I still, I still get, text messages and calls. I mean, when, when my time at golf channel ended, one of the first two people to reach out to me was Nancy Lopez, who I idolized growing up and Lexi Thompson, who I didn't even know Lexi had my number. So, (laughs) you know, you, it just goes to show that you build these relationships with, with people and with players and with caddies. I mean, I, I, I have so many great friends who are caddies and instructors and, I could sit here and and talk for days how much I appreciate them and respect them and admire them. And I, I, the list is a mile long, I guess, to answer your question. There are so many great personalities and people out there.
0: That's cool. Yeah. I mean, do you ever like sit back and like when you're drinking a cup of coffee or something like that and just like reflecting like, geez, like my network of people is with some of the greatest players in the game. And like, and just think how cool that is because, you know, hearing you just share, that just summary of your experience with the golf channel. To me, I'm just thinking, geez, like that is awesome.
1: I do. I guess it's, um, but then you also realize that they're, they're just people too. I mean, and it's not just golfers. I mean, so many people love this game, other athletes, entertainers that some of the people that I've been able to develop friendships with still sort of amazes me. I'm thinking, why do they want to talk to me? But they just love golf, you know, it doesn't have anything to do, but anybody who's sort of connected to the game there's so many people who who love this game and i've been fortunate enough to be around it and around them and look, they inspire me anybody who's successful is an inspiration and i watch them whether it's terry duffy who's the ceo of cme group i mean he's he's become a mentor and a great friend and you know i can't tell you how grateful i am to his for his friendship so it's not just these superstar athletes or entertainers but People in the business world who are a heck of a lot smarter than me and can help guide me if I have something going on and reach out to them. So it's just, it's, it's been incredible in that regard.
0: That's cool. Now to connect those dots, you know, from you growing up in the game of golf to your professional career, whether it was through the golf channel, where you're at now, if you look back, can you think of what within golf shaped your personality to then be able to get into some of these roles that you've had?
1: Oh, I just the competitive spirit. I don't think that I would have gotten into TV. I was actually late getting the television because after I knew that I wasn't going to play professionally, I was absolutely lost. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Cuz all I all I did was play golf. That was everything in my life was shaped up to play professional golf and right. then all of a sudden it went away. And it was hard. It was a hard point in my life, but I got through college. I got a pre-law degree, thought I wanted to go to law school. And then right before taking the LSAT, I was just like, I don't want to do this. What am I doing? And so I tried sales because my dad and my sister were in it. I managed a restaurant. (laughs) Like I was, I was really searching for all this stuff, but I had some friends who were in the TV business. They were in weather and I went around a live television studio for the first time and I felt this adrenaline rush that reminded me of playing sports. And I'm like, this is really cool. So I went back and got a minor in broadcast journalism. I already had my, my major and took a job in Columbus, Mississippi. And I I was horrible. I had no idea what I was doing. So to answer your question, what did golf teach me? It taught me that the more that I, that I worked at it, the better that I would get. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to, I didn't have to accept where I was as a beginner that I just had to put in the time and I had to be easy on myself and, but still hard on myself in a way, because part of that makes you better. And so I just learned to have the balance and to, to get coaching and to really accept that. I think that that did help, not just, not just being able to watch people and figure out what they did that I liked, that was good, what I needed to improve, but actually to get that that constant um, critical feedback because that's what we do as golfers or athletes, right? You have coaches out there saying, Oh, you're not doing this and it doesn't bother us, but I had to have that sort of same mindset in in TV and it, it definitely helped. I had some great coaches and mentors and people who I would watch and learn from just like in golf.
0: That's cool. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I think that's, uh, it's and I like how you tied it back to like just the hard work aspect of things, you know, again, going back to that talent gift, it's not like we were born to be TV broadcasters or for myself hosting a podcast. If you would ask me two years ago, I'd have said, no way I'd be doing this right now. Right. (laughs) But, you know, again, it it just kind of comes down to, you know, relating your previous experiences and seeing how golf actually connected those dots with the hard work and the discipline and, you know, seeking help. And like you said, taking that critical feedback, I think that's really, really important for everybody here. And again, it's, You know, those are the great benefits that we get out of playing a sport like golf. You know, who knows where it's gonna take you, right? It could lead you anywhere. And I think there's just so many positive things that you can take away from it. And you're a very good example of that.
1: Well, thank you. Great life lessons.
0: Yes, I would totally agree. Now, Lisa, there's there's you know, within your network, there's another person I'm very curious of hearing more about. I read you have a cousin that people have heard about before. And um, I believe he's also been some, somewhat of an inspiration to you in, in some ways, and that would be President Bill Clinton. And he golf's too, by the way.
1: Oh yeah, like that's that's why that's why we're so close is because of golf. I mean, obviously there's a, a, a pretty big age difference, and I tease him about that all the time. The older that he gets, <laughs> um, it's interesting because you know before Bill was elected president, we had only played golf once or twice, and um after long story short Dece- it was it was Christmas day after a month after the election six weeks or whatever he's in the middle of the transition and I had seen him at a couple of events and so that he invited me to come down and play on Christmas day and ever since then he's we've just we've played a ton of golf we've I mean obviously you're related so you have that connection but just a deep friendship and bond and love and um, I mean, boy, when you talk about controversial, it's unfortunate in this day and age that you can bring up one party or the other and half your listeners may turn off. But politics aside, um, Bill Clinton's one of my favorite people on this planet. He has been there for me through so many difficult times. And that's including even back when he was president. And I was really struggling with letting go of this golf thing. I mean, it was I've said it, it, it was a really difficult time in my life. And, you know, to have somebody like him, who's that not just brilliant, but thoughtful and sort of gets it. Um, he helped me out of some some dark places. But, you know, now looking at it, we developed that bond because of golf. And I would go up to the White House and spend a lot of time. We would go out and play either Andrews Air Force Base or Army Navy or Congressional and just some experiences. I you know I've been able to do a lot of great things through Bill but really just develop this close relationship with somebody who loves the game as much as me. And he still texts me during you know he's watching a tournament, he'll text me, "Did you see that shot?" or I mean, it's so <laughs> funny. He he uh I don't know how he makes time for it, but he always has golf on no matter the tournament I think he actually watches more women's golf than men because he's uh, right
0: that's cool that's
1: something that's always on his TV plus he's up late and I think maybe the rebroadcast he gets to watch it
0: well you know and it's interesting as you're saying this you know I said that you know he was probably an inspiration to you and it sounds like he was a big help in a lot of ways to you I bet you when he played golf with you you know let's just say rewind back to that Christmas day and he saw you play you were probably a huge inspiration to him. Right, and he's probably like, "All right, I need to get my game. You know, imp- I need to work <laughs> on my game as well. And uh, you know, how do I keep getting better and better at this sport? Right? And I'm sure he had experience in it. And I'm sure he's a good player, but I, I bet you he- he's watching you with a close eye as well, and-, and he's probably taken a lot away from your golf game as well over over the years.
1: Yeah, he he always would tell people, especially back then when we play, and I was I was good, and he would say, you know, one of these days, um. I'm gonna figure this out and I'm gonna beat you. Cause he would always keep score and try to, you know, do all this. I said, Bill, stop. You're not going to beat me. But he could he could outdrive me back then. And so he took a lot of pride in that. He still likes to tell a story when we played in Little Rock one day and he flew it over the screen. And I didn't get there, and he still gives me a hard time about that. But I, you know, remind him that he probably outweighed me by about 80 pounds. So <laughs> he doesn't anymore. He's lost a lot of weight since his heart attack. <laughs> but he still loves the game. He doesn't play nearly enough as he used to and would like to. Um, but, yeah, we, we tell a lot of great stories. He's, as you can imagine, very competitive. So mm-hmm. it would drive him crazy. But we've I had bet. a lot of fun over the years.
0: I bet. Lisa, you have such a cool, inspiring story, I think, for listeners, you know, just hearing your journey growing up in the game of golf and going all the way through college golf and then into your professional career. I'm curious now, though, like what's next for you? What do you you, what's on the horizon?
1: I I don't know. I mean, I'm working on a book. Um, I'm working on a couple of different show ideas. And look, I, I I tweet about this stuff all the time and people often take it I'm not gonna say the wrong way because I hate when somebody says that to me like you took that the wrong way but I think that there's a big conversation to be had about how we can grow the game for minorities how we can grow the game for women um, especially professionally like I look at I look at the the income gaps and it's just mind-blowing and look and I get it I mean it's a business right so everybody always thinks that I think that the women should make what the men make now that I, that's not my point at all. I just would like to see these gaps close a little bit. And I think that there's a big responsibility with media. I was in the media, so I know how the women are slighted and like that story needs to be told. And I hope that I can help tell it because I think that when you tell that story, that it brings about change. People are like, oh no, they talked about it. Okay. We, we can't do this anymore. So I think that that's something that needs to happen, but also corporations. Um, like I mentioned, Terry Duffy, I love that man because look at what he's done for the CME Group Tour Championship. He hands out the biggest check in women's golf. Do the ratings justify it? No, but it's like he says, this is a this is a drop in the bucket in his overall budget of what he does, and why not why not spend it on that and really showcase the best female golfers in the world? There's something about Lexi Thompson or. Jin Young Ko or something, someone holding up a $1.5 million check that makes people react. I think that as human beings, we respond to what we see them getting, if that makes sense. Like I always said at, at Golf Channel, that we teach our viewers how to what to think about the LPGA tour. And so if we bury the story and we don't talk about them as much, then we teach the viewers or these young production assistants that women's golf does, doesn't matter as much. And so I think that there's a, a big effort that I want to lead uh, on that front and and also to get more corporations like CME Group to step up. I mean, Walmart hosts a tournament in Northwest Arkansas, and the overall purse is $2 million. Walmart probably spends $2 million a week on streaming services. I mean, that's <laughs> nothing to, <Right>. to Walmart. <laughs> and I get that they can't just throw millions and millions and millions of dollars, but yeah to do some things like that, instead of throwing it maybe in other causes. I know a lot of companies are doing these women's summits, women's summits. And while that's great, I think that there's a lot more good that can be done by by throwing money at these female athletes, because I think that men in particular pay attention to it. And so I think that there's a lot of good work that that can be done to, to close that gap. And I will say this, this is the only thing that I'll say on this note, It's not just the top prize that's being handed out. To me, the biggest travesty, and I know a lot of these girls out on tour who literally are keeping their cards, but they're struggling to pay their bills. So I looked last year, the man on the PGA Tour who was, I think, in the 100th, number 100 in PGA Tour earnings had earned one point, like, $26 $26 million. Mm-hmm. And the woman who was in the same position on the LPGA tour had earned $70,000. Mm-hmm. It's astronomical. Right. And so those are the gaps that I would like to see close, not, not totally erase it, but just, just close it. And I think that there are a lot of corporations who, if they really, if we could appeal to them would step up because I think a lot of people do want to do that. There's a lot of good in the world, a lot of good hearted people who care about the sport and care about making it uh, a little bit more equitable for everybody.
0: That's great. Yeah, I totally agree. Is there a place where people could find out more about what you're doing or follow you?
1: Uh, just on Twitter. Uh, we're, we're doing some things. We haven't fully launched it yet, um, but there will be a, a book and a podcast and a show. They're sort of all intertwined. And once that's out, then we'll definitely spread the spread the word there. We're not quite there yet, so um, but hopefully soon.
0: Sweet. Perfect. I'll share that in the, uh, in the show notes as well. So Lisa, it's been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and share your story, your inspiration. I think you've done so many cool things over your career and really look forward to what you have coming out here in the future. But before I let you go, I'd like you to answer one last question. And that would be, what are your final words of inspiration for parents, players, and coaches on raising golfers?
1: I, I think it's really simple. Just let them have fun. I think that that's the most important thing. Just just make it enjoyable for them. If they want to be out there, encourage them, do what you can to support them. And if they don't, then that's okay. Just any time that they can spend on a golf course, as long as it's enjoyable for them, whether it's once a month or eight hours a day, like me, just, just find some joy in it. Because I think anybody who's exposed to it early, whether you play competitively as a junior player or not, the, the game will come back around in their lives. And it's a really valuable contribution that parents can give to their kids to be able to give them the gift of golf. Even if they don't have that gift early on, if that gift comes through later, which I fully believe that it will, it's an enormous gift. I mean, golf has given me almost everything in in my life and I'm so grateful to all the people like my parents and Dave Malone who have, been there to encourage me and and really help that blossom because I would not be, I don't know where I would be today, but, um, I just, I know that I'm really grateful every single day for
0: it. That's perfect. Thanks so much, Lisa. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. I think the listeners are really going to enjoy this episode and take a lot away from everything that you shared today. And, um, again, look forward to seeing what's next for you. So thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, what a wonderful interview with Lisa Cornwell. It's you know she, I took so many things away from this interview from her, just her story growing up in the game of golf, and the advice that she had for you know how she had so much passion and drive and that burning desire growing up in the game of golf, and I think just the environment that she grew up in, and growing up in golf, and having you know such positive influences around her, including Dave Malone. And the other golfers that she was surrounded with, I think, was just a really big contribution to her passion just growing up in the game of golf. And what I liked about what she said is she said, you know, passion is something you can't manipulate. And children will find what they're passionate about. And it may or not be golf, and that's okay. And I couldn't agree more with this statement. That she had and i think that you know for us as as adults involved in the junior golfer's journey and process i think what we have to do is just make sure that the experience stays positive and fun for them and help them find the passion in the game if that is what they end up finding and it's okay if they don't and that's totally fine but i think we still have to make sure that we keep it a, a fun safe positive experience for them and create the best environment and culture around it to keep them involved in the game as long as possible lisa thank you so much for coming on this episode i hope you all enjoyed it as much as i did and look forward to hearing your feedback and having you here back on the podcast next week